G'day everyone, welcome to the 10th installment of the Mungrel Plant Podcast. We're recording this on Tuesday evening, the 24th of March, not May, because I made that mistake last time. Uh, we've delayed this by a couple of days, given the events that have taken place recently. To be honest, on Sunday night when we usually record, I really couldn't come on and, and chat away. I was pretty annoyed, a little bit upset, and uh, slightly angry at the, at the whole situation with the season being put on hold and possibly cancelled. Uh, so we've delayed it a couple of days, kind of got our ducks in a row a little bit. Hopefully we're over what's happening at the moment and the sands don't shift too much in the next 24 hours to make this podcast completely outdated. But you never know. Um, I'm joined as always by the lovely Mrs. Mungrel. She of the she the princess of uh, two-hour afternoon naps who broke her record this afternoon and went for two and a half hours. That was great. Exceptional effort from her. <laughs> I mean, this has been one of the biggest weeks in footy for a while that I can remember. Probably ever, I suppose. This is bigger than when Carlton got caught breaching the salary cap. That affected only one team. Sure, it won him a premiership, but you know. Didn't kill anybody either, I'm going to assume. Well, I don't know what happens at Carlton. They're a pretty shifty bunch. <laughs> this is bigger than the Essendon drug scandal because it affects every club in a way that I suppose it only affected Essendon when the, the supplements, I should say, supplement scandal hit. Essendon were smashed in the press, and this time it's basically every team copying it. And every person involved in footy clubs, there's people losing their jobs, the future of the comps in question. I mean, this is, uh, I want to use the word unprecedented because it seems to be something that's bandied around a lot these days. Bushfires were unprecedented. Coronavirus is unprecedented. This league shutdown is unprecedented. We're this, in strange times. This podcast, unprecedented. Because <laughs> nothing's been this bad in a while. <laughs> so we'll get into that sort of stuff a little bit later. On the site this week, we had our wrap-ups of every single game. Uh, we've kind of committed to doing that over the last couple of years. We really want to be a site that, that covers games with deep dives. So we've endeavoured to do that. We had a satirical piece on the, on the site during the week around... Uh, which AFL personalities could be responsible for the outbreak of the coronavirus. And one fella told us that uh, we should get our lawyers ready. <laughs> I'm like, you don't really understand satire. I should have really detailed that a little bit better. Um, I'm currently piecing together our round one player power rankings. Should be done as soon as the coaches' votes drop. If they don't do it in the next 24 hours, I'm going to actually go ahead without it. Our defensive rankings will go up at some point tonight, which is great. And guess what? They're both for members only. Hey, Mrs. Mungrel, what's the benefits of being a member? You're a member. Yes, you're not a number. <laughs> Definitely not. We're not the RACV, you know. The RACV sends you a card and says, you're a member, not a number, and on it is your membership number. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, so you can be a member of our site for as little as 65 bucks for the whole year or 6 bucks a month. It's uh, you know basically like buying me a very expensive coffee, I suppose. Or just a regular coffee in Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, if you go South Melbourne, it's a regular coffee. So anyway, we might get right into it this week and dive into the winners and losers of every game that was covered. So season opened in front of nobody, which I was quite alright with, I have to say. The lack of crowds, sometimes I turn the volume down on the commentators anyway. So it was like, oh, this is pretty much what I, what I usually do. Particularly when people like uh, James Brayshaw start getting people's names wrong. In the first game, in the first five minutes, I think, he called Liam Baker Dan Butler. And Dan Butler now plays for St Kilda. So, 
Good work, JB. That was excellent. The big winners for the Tigers as they uh, jumped the Blues and got, got it to like a five-goal lead in the first quarter. That pretty much dusted the game. I know Carlton came back. I know they were within two, three goals late in the game. But that was cue in the rack stuff from Richmond. They had that game in the bag very, very early. Winners for the for the Tigers. Dusty, as always, did as he pleased. I think people, some people had him as best on ground. I didn't, but you know, he was he was very good again. Got something against Mark Murphy. Doesn't like Mark Murphy at all. A couple of times he looked looked like he wanted to tackle Mark Murphy with intent and knock him down. And at one point Mark Mark Murphy went to tackle him. And Dusty gave him one of the best fend-offs. You also just hand right in the chest and was like, get the fuck away from me, Murphy. What do you think you're doing? Bit, bit of love or a bit of hate? Mm, look, could be a bit of either. <laughs> <laughs> Dusty. He's Making a, eyes across the field. He's a bit of a bit of a strange cat. <laughs> Jack Revolt. Uh, bit of a wake-up call for everybody. He uh, took a back seat to Tom Lynch last year. And this game, I think in the third quarter, he really could have had four goals by quarter time. He took... Strong marks, he was out in the lead. He got lace-out delivery, which lace-out delivery means that the ball's delivered to you so perfectly that the laces face the other way so as not to hurt your fingers. Oh. Yeah, so he got a couple of passes. Well, you know, they're new-age guys like Richmond. So some of the delivery to him was impeccable, but he really established himself as the best forward on the park very early. You had Dion Prestia doing what Dion Prestia does, Every single week, which has been the best midfielder on a team where he's probably rated by everybody else as the third best midfielder. So he was fantastic. And a bloke called Liam Baker as well. Liam Baker plays off the halfback flank. I made a comparison in the review that you have a guy called, who we'll talk about in a minute, named Paddy Dow. Plays for Carlton as a number three pick. Liam Baker came off the rookie list. It's like the, the wolf climbing the hill is always hungrier than the bloke, than the one on top. So Paddy Dow's kind of have, had his spot gifted to him in a lot of ways. He's not he's not really AFL ready at the moment. It's his third year in the system. But Liam Baker, undrafted, right down the rookie list draft, he he attacks the contest like his life depends on it. And Paddy Dow attacks the contest as though someone else's life depends on it. <laughs> so I asked on their website, who would you rather? And... A lot of people were saying Liam Baker. They'd rather Liam Baker, given the way he attacks it. And I have to agree. I'd definitely take him. Losers on the night. Actually, I should do winners for Carlton first. I think Jacob Wiedering on Tom Lynch was fantastic. Tom Lynch, one of your favourites. Looks like a cheese stick, you believe? He does. He does look like a craft cheese stick, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he was fantastic on Lynch. I actually gave Wiedering best on ground. He, he In a losing side, to do what he did, given the delivery that was coming into the Richmond forward line, was exceptional. Sam Doherty, back for his first game after two years out with a knee injury, got through, played really, really well. And Jack Martin kicked four goals in the third quarter to kind of give the Blues a bit of a sniff. Uh, the big knock on him in, at Gold Coast was he was a bit lazy. That he, uh, I don't want to say he was a downhill, ski, downhill skier, but he didn't put the hard yards in. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes once or if the season actually gets underway and there's seven or eight games into the season and the grind starts how he responds. Losers on the night. Sam Walsh probably had his worst game as an AFL player. He won the Rising Star last year. Oh, no. He kicked like a bloke with no legs. Seriously. It's it's the only time in the season he played. He had a shocking game. Just couldn't hit a target. Will Setterfield. A lot of Carlton fans have kind of pegged their hopes on Will Setterfield. I hate to see their hopes dashed. 
but as a, a running halfback wingman, he's he's nowhere near it. And poor old Matthew Cruiser. Matthew Cruiser has been injury plagued. He was the prototype young ruckman ten to twelve years ago. Everyone was saying Cruiser's gonna do this, Cruiser's gonna do that. He's done knees, he's hurt ankles, he can t- he had a heart scare. The bloke has had probably one, one and a half really good years, and at his best he's fantastic. He did an ankle in this game sixteen weeks out. So yeah, maybe this stoppage works works in his favour. He'll be right back. No, no, because he'll be the one that gets coronavirus, poor bugger. Oh, poor old Paddy. No, his name's not Paddy, he's Maddie. But See? poor old Paddy, he's next. <laughs> <laughs> Paddy Dow. And he's the other one who was the, the the big loser on the night. He just really doesn't look like he's up to AFL level at the moment. Now comparing to Liam Baker before, I've got a little note here that says it was like the guy who's had to scratch and fight for his spot in the team all season against a millionaire. And Paddy Dow played like a millionaire. Then we jump to Friday night. <laughs> I've uh, watched some beatdowns in my time. And we saw one in the finals last year where GWS beat up the dogs. And Collingwood was obviously watching because they went out and did the same thing. Brody Grundy went out in the first half. And I don't want to use this word, but it was like he molested Tim English. He beat him so badly that I would be surprised if Tim English is not scarred for life. Oh my god. At halftime, Brody Grundy had 13 I possessions. Think you mean demolition? No, no, molested. That's <laughs> definitely molested. Oh my god. So he just manhandled him. Just continually just pushed him out of the way, knocked him over, just bumped him out the way. Get out the way, boy. It was like that sort of stuff. It was really just... He just owned him. So Grundy had 13 touches, 25 hitouts, 7 score involvements, and a goal at halftime. Tim English had 0 touches and 6 hitouts. Now, the Dogs in the offseason didn't recruit another Ruckman. They went out and got a good good halfback named Alex Keith. They got a good power forward named Josh Bruce. And they neglected to get a Ruckman, hoping that that Tim English would come on and improve this year. I'm sure he will. But in his first big test, he was absolutely destroyed by Grundy. So the big winners, Grundy, obviously. Jeremy Howe, off halfback, had 12 intercepts and did as he pleased all game. The other one was Taylor Adams, who was responsible for Bontempelli at clearances in the centre. He ended up having 12 clearances himself. And in a shortened game, 12 clearances is a huge effort. We, are, we give out our power rankings and stuff, and when a player hits 10 in a game, in a regular length game... That's a trigger for us to reward points. He's got 12 in a shortened game, which was absolutely huge. For the Dogs, the winners, I really struggled to find them. Maybe Alex Keith. He was pretty good without being spectacular. Maybe Caleb Daniel, one of your he, friends. He's my favourite. I see you smile when I mention his name. If he showed up without a helmet, you wouldn't know who he was. If he showed up with a helmet, I don't know if I'd know who he what was. Would he, what would he be doing wearing a helmet around? In case he Evil. trips over. Look, I lived in Brunswick for a while. Yeah, well, you know, people would steal your helmet in Brunswick. <laughs> it, they got a cash converters in Brunswick? I think so, yeah. They got a scavengers and a savers. Yeah, savers. Yeah. That's uh, great. It's a good shop, savers. Mm. So the big losers, Bont and Pally, really beaten soundly in just about every contest. And by the end of it, started to look like he actually didn't give a shit, which would be really concerning. Bulldogs coach Luke Beveridge, a bit of a loser. He stuck his young gun, Aaron Norton, at full forward as the dogs continued to bleed goals for the whole game. So, quarter time, I'm looking at this young guy, Norton, who's 
reading the ball really well in the air. He's he's a really quality player. He's playing on Darcy Moore and getting beaten, but the ball's not getting there. And I'm like, why doesn't he throw him down the centre-half back or something? Just get him in the mix. Get him a couple of touches. But nope. Didn't want to do that. Tim English, we covered. One of the biggest losers of the game. He came on in the second half. And I think he had 10 or so touches. But the game was gone. It was That's like charity touches. They don't really matter. The Dogs recruiting staff are the other big loser. They didn't go after a Ruckman. Sam Jacobs was available. Paddy Ryder was available. Matt Allen was available. Zach Smith was available. They had 12 months to plan for life after the retirement of Tom Boyd, and they didn't do it. And I wonder what sort of damage this does to English psychologically going forward. Every time he comes up against Brody Grundy now, does he think, oh, shit. Yes, he's going to cry inside. I'm gonna, this guy's going to kill me again. <laughs> Grundy's already won half the battle before, he even, before the ball's even bounced. So I kind of feel for him. The other big loser on the night was a guy called Sam Lloyd. Right before the siren, I think it was to end the third quarter, he had a chance to mark the ball at about 50 metres out. You showed me this. I showed you the yeah. footage, and it's actually embedded in our review if you want to look it up on the site, themongrelpunt.com, best independent website on the on the net. Yeah, very smooth. <laughs> Not really. Um, he heard footsteps and completely dropped the mark and uh, enabled Collingwood to clear, and that was a scoring opportunity for those guys. All right, we'll jump to the Bombers and Dockers. The winners in this one, oh, geez, I suppose the winner was Dylan Scheel. Uh, I've been really critical of him last year, particularly for wasting the footy. He's great at getting it. He looks fantastic when he's got it in his hands, and then he kicks it usually, and that's where the greatness kind of stops. But in this game here, he travelled at 80% efficiency. It's probably the best game I've seen him play in terms of that. I'm wondering whether... He really enjoys the shortened games, which we'll get to. I'm not impressed with this 16-minute quarter business. So he was really good. Rory Lobb moved into the ruck after Sean Darcy did something. Who knows what he does? Probably not a lot. Uh, But Rory Lobb moved into the ruck and was obviously the best big guy on the ground. He took towering marks. He was all over the place, dropping a kick behind the play. He looked fantastic. Michael Walters in the second half basically willed the Dockers back into it. He was involved in every single play that scored for the Dockers in the second half by the, by the look of it. I know in the last quarter he was absolutely phenomenal. Great debuts for Jacob Townsend, who's a Richmond discard. Couldn't get a game at Richmond. He was in the 2017 Premiership side, was injured the last couple of years, and found a home at Essendon. He looks to give them a real bit of mongrel up there. He likes physical contact. He'd go well with uh, hanging out with Joe Ganino. So likes a bit True of the, likes a bit of argy bargy. Doesn't mind mixing it up. Likes a bit of bumping and perhaps grinding. Who knows what he's up to? But uh, likes to take contested marks. Likes to run into people. Puts his head down and burrows in for the ball. He was fantastic. <laughs> puts his head down and burrows in for the ball. Okay. He's like a mole man. <laughs> he's the mole man. So uh, yeah, he was fantastic. Another guy named uh, Sam Sturt for the Dockers kicked three goals, or or maybe even four. Uh, He was fantastic, really stood up in the last quarter, kicked a couple of goals, and exposed an experienced defender in Michael Hurley. We also had, I suppose, fans had a bit of a win when we had a bit of an elongated one-on-one clash with Nat Fife, nips out Nat Fife, and your buddy, Jake Stringer. Keep it in your pants, Jake. Yeah, keep it in your pants. Don't keep it in someone else's. He can't help they himself. Don't want it. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, there was about a five-minute period where those guys matched up in the middle, and I reckon that's about as good as you're going to get from Stringer when he moves into the center because he is a forward by nature, and he can get fitter, but he's not going to run at a game like Nat Fife does. But he did get some big wins against Fife one-on-one, snuck forward and kicked the goal on him, and really let him know all about it when he kicked the goal too, like was smiling at him and talking to him, and you could see Fife going, yeah, 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 fine. Then he... Fife got a clearance the next play, and Stringer buried him in a tackle, pinned the arm, and really buried him, and let him know about it again. I'm thinking, I wish they played on each other for the whole game, because in the end, you know Fife is going to get revenge, because he's just better. <laughs> but, but you know, in that five-minute span, Stringer got the best of him, and really let him know about it, and then just went back and played forward again. It's like, well, I've done my job here. So that was pretty entertaining. A git. Yeah, it was pretty good, actually. I enjoyed it. The big loser... I suppose Michael Hurley, who is an excellent defender, and I'm a bit of a fan usually, but he just he was beaten by a first year player in the in the end a couple of times, gave away a fifty metre penalty for clubbing him in the head after he took a <laughs> took a mark. You would have enjoyed that uh, one. I would have. You would have given fifty metres the other way for that <laughs> just one. Just for a good whacking. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty good. Um so yeah, Sam Sam Sturt kicked a couple of goals on him and yeah, I'm sure Hurley'd be pretty disappointed with himself. Orazio Fantasia, no good again. He was hardly sighted in the first half. I think he kicked a goal in the second half, but you know, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but he is he's crap at the moment. I'm sorry to say it. He hasn't had a good game. I think he had one good game last year. Was he ever good? Oh yeah. He's got talent to burn. And if I was an Essendon supporter, I'd be really frustrated with what He's showing me when he's on the field. In the Marsh series, he was poor. In this game, he was poor as well. So something's going on there. Whether he's there at the end of this year will be very interesting. The other incident I want to touch on, at one point, Michael Walters was going for a mark. Now, he was running toward the ball, and his teammate, Matt Taberner, who I really like Matt Taberner, even though he looks like a big lumbering giant, was lumbering like a giant back towards him (laughs) with his eyes on the ball. Now... It's incumbent on Michael Walters to call him in and let him know, come back, I'm protecting you. You're always taught that as a player. And Michael Walters went for the mark instead. Tabiner came back and crashed into him, and the ball spilled, and Essendon took it away. But that wasn't the only thing. Michael Walters got up and gave him an absolute mouthful about you know getting in his way and stuff like that. It was actually Walters' fault. He needed to call him back in and protect him, I was really surprised to hear the commentators actually take Walter's side and say maybe he's right. No, no, no. He wasn't right. His job is to protect this guy and make sure no one runs into him coming the other way. But he ran into him himself. So Michael Walters, as good as he was, that was a cock-up. <laughs> Swans and Crows. Big winners here. Isaac Heaney. You know, we go, we've spoken a couple of times about why he doesn't really fit anywhere. John Longmire, the Sydney coach, throws him around all over the place. You need someone to take an intercept mark, you throw him in the back line. You need a clearance, you throw Heaney in the middle. You need a mark and goal, you throw him forward. He's just a bit of a Mr. Fix-It. This week he played forward for the whole time. Four goals, best on ground. Very, very indicative of where he should be playing. Winners, Josh Kennedy and Luke Parker had 22 clearances between them. And this is the old guard from Sydney who are still standing up. They're on their day, they can play out of their skin. Sam Naismith back in the ruck. He was very influential. Uh, 
and the big losers on the day, they were both Adelaide. Tex had the chance to win it for his team with 30 seconds to go. Took a mark. His kick went nowhere near it. Got the distance, but it missed by a good 10 to 12 metres. And this is his stock in trade. The 55-metre kick is, you know, he, he slams them home from there when there's no pressure on. And this is what he's really good at. And then there was pressure on this one. This was game on the line stuff. And he just didn't convert. It was it was a really a nothing kick. So Tex, he was good in the first quarter, faded out, then had a chance to cover himself in glory. And he covered himself in shame once <laughs> again. The other loser, Bryce Gibbs, who it's looking like the game might have gone past him. He he was really poor last year. Looked like his, his confidence was shot. And it doesn't look to have come back this year. He was poor in the in the Marsh series. He's been poor in this game as well. GWS versus Cats. My man, Toby, Toby Green. Green. Big winner. Big, big, big winner. I'm saying with a smile. <laughs> because so at some point, people are going to look past the infamy and realize how talented this guy is. I mean, he... I don't gush about many players. You're I really don't. Love. Look at you. Look uh, I think he's a bit of an ugly cat, but you know, <laughs> talent-wise, he is probably he's, he's top ten in the league at the moment. He's a star, and when you watch him play, he does things no one else is doing. So he reads the ball, and his his ability to gather the ball, get it onto his boot. I think Robbie Gray is as good at doing that. You like Robbie Green? Now you're smiling and gushing because yeah. he looks like a bartender from Brunswick. He does. No, not from Brunswick. Nah. Thank you. More like Northcote. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you like him, but I like Toby Green. We're not talking about Robbie Gray. <laughs> Put a sock in it, Robbie. He's, he's pointing at me aggressively. <laughs> yeah. He's the star of the competition and people will, will, if this season actually gets going, I reckon this could be his year where he transitions from the guy who people hate to the guy people actually respect. They still hate him. But also hate. Yeah, yeah. but they'll, they'll respect him. Uh, Nick Haynes, big shout out to Shelly Haynes, one of our uh, our loyal listeners, Nick's mum. Uh, lazy 10 intercept possessions. Has to be recognised as one of the best defenders in the game at the moment. He's standing up time and time again. He was one of the very few in the grand final who actually played well. And he's come out this year just... Picked off everything the Cats threw forward. Harry Perryman, 20 touches and four goals. I mean, Harry Perryman is a guy, if you said, name the name the GWS midfielders, you'd be going, okay, Canelio. I'm really not the person you'd be asking. No, no, I'm asking myself because oh, okay. I don't expect you to answer. I have no idea. Wait, Canelio. <laughs> yeah, good one. Yeah. Taranto. Yep. Jacob Hopper. Yep. Josh Kelly. Oh, see, I Lockie know them Whitfield. All. Yeah, you're just rattling them off. a great job. <laughs> And you wouldn't really throw Perryman in there. And here he is bobbing up. He's got 20 touches and four goals. And all of a sudden people are like, who's Harry Perryman? I'm like, you need to watch more GWS games. I know they don't have a heap of fans. But if you want to see really, really good football on a consistent basis, they're so talented, these guys. Massive winner, Matt DeBoer. Matt DeBoer was on Patrick Dangerfield. And everyone knows Patrick Dangerfield. He's a match winner. He's a star. He's this, he's that. He had 16 touches in this game. Because he got Matt DeBoard. Last year, DeVore had a... Yeah, well, doesn't get any better from here, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Last year, DeBoer shut down Cripps, O'Meara, Tim Kelly. And he was in the process of shutting down Ben Cunnington until Cunnington basically went, screw this, and just picked him up and chucked him on his shoulder and 
broke his shoulder. <laughs> That's one way of stopping someone, well, I suppose. You don't screw with Ben Cunnington. He's not the sort of bloke who, you know, will, will pat you on the butt and say, hey, that was really good, well done. He, I think he punched <laughs> blokes... never ceases to amaze me, anyway. He, he punched blokes four times last year and didn't get suspended once. Oh, my God. So it's just like that little love tap in the stomach he gives. Anyway, sorry, I shouldn't be segueing from DeBoer because that devalues how important he is to this team. So he's easily the best stopper in the game at the moment. And I'm looking forward to this season restarting so he can actually put the brakes on a few more people. And he, he played last year's grand final with a knee injury that should have probably kept him out. And after the game, I got reports from people at GWS saying that he couldn't even walk after the game. He was that banged up. So, yeah, he played on Dusty that day and Dusty was best on ground. Oh. I think if Matt DeBoer is fully fit, the Tigers still win by 50 points, but Dusty's probably not best on ground that day. The losers, Dangerfield we touched on, needs to learn how to break that tag of DeBoer's. DeBoer got Tim Kelly last year. I think Dangerfield threw an elbow at DeBoer, and he needs to just start getting some help. I don't know where he's going to get it from. Not Mitch Duncan kicked three goals, but he's a third, third mid at best. The other losers, I suppose, were that middle tier of cats who were so good early last year. So guys like Ryan Myers and Tom Atkins, who really jumped out of the box last year, they they didn't jump out of the box this year. They kind of sat there looking out like a scared little kitten, looking out of the box. Meow. They weren't cats, they were kittens. Suns versus Port. I watched this one. Winners, Darcy Byrne-Jones, 10 intercept possessions, 25 touches. Basically did what he liked off halfback. Sam Powell Pepper, another 20 touches at 80%. He had a really good Marsh series and is looking like the light might have finally clicked on for him. So always had the talent, always had the ability. Not sure he had the drive. His name came up in trade discussions this year. And it might just be enough to give him a kick in the butt and make him make him start playing a bit harder. Uh, Marshall and Georgiati is up, up front without... Charlie Dixon there, both really serviceable. Scott Lysette, he of the nice hairdo. Oh, I remember. Yeah, he's got a filthy moustache at the moment happening. They've got to stop that. I don't know what this trend in is. It's awful. He looks like a 70s cop oh. at the moment. When they look like, you know, 1930s Englishmen, that's okay. Oh, that's Joe Danaher. Yeah. And that's, who's the other like Mitch Brown. Both look like they they just stepped out of their out of their their fighter jet and they're going to have a nice cup of tea now. See, that's adorable. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, the, the good thing cops. was is they both Not played so for the Bombers at one point, so they kind of fit the bill. <gasps> oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah, and now he's now Mitch Brown's gone to the Demons, and that yeah that that mustache is demonic. He should get rid of it. It's horrible. <laughs> anyway, big losers for me. Darcy McPherson. We really talked him up during the preseason. He had two thirty plus disposal games in the Marsh Series games. This week, 12 touches. It was almost like, hey, that was fun while the games didn't mean anything. Now the heat's going to go up. And he was just nowhere to be seen. I suppose the other one is Will Brody. Will Brody promised a lot in the preseason as well. 14 touches. He got a lot of them late. I think he had eight touches till three-quarter time and then stacked on six more in the, the last quarter to make his numbers look a bit better. But he was pretty ordinary. The other losers were anyone who thought the Suns would be improving immediately. I wrote at one point that I think that three wins would have been acceptable for those guys again this year. 
And that's not a knock on them. I think they'll be playing a lot better football over the journey. But they were really on at the start of 2019, won three games in quick succession and then didn't win anymore. I think they'll be better over the journey. However, I do think they'll drop a hell of a lot of games. And if we were playing 17 games, I think three wins would be very acceptable for them. But they would be being blown out a lot less. Blown out, I said. Stop looking at me like that. Uh, North versus <laughs> continually. North versus the Saints. Big winners here. Ben Cunnington had 17 touches in the second half, kicked two goals, and pretty much dragged North back. There was another guy who dragged them back with him named Jed Anderson. His contests and his commitment at contests in the third quarter caused stoppages when I suppose it looked as though North, oh, sorry, the Saints were going to clear the ball away. And Jed Anderson's throwing himself in there like a maniac and making the ball spill or holding up someone. His numbers weren't fantastic, and I don't have them on hand, but his commitment was absolutely excellent. Old man Todd, Cod, Todd Goldstein, Cod, 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 Todd Goldstein, uh, he, he beat two blokes in the ruck on the night. So he played against a guy who I really, really rate, Rowan Marshall, and he's got a backup named Paddy Ryder, who's just come across from Port Adelaide. Both really, really good ruckmen, and Goldstein went at it by himself and basically held his own the whole day. Uh, Marshall probably should pay, play ruck by himself. I don't understand why St Kilda was so adamant they are going to get a second ruckman in. Marshall jumped out of the box last year. He looked like a dominant ruckman in the making. Unlike Tim English, was able to handle himself in one-on-one contests. And St Kilda went out and said, we really want Paddy Ryder to come on board too so we can split his time in the middle and maybe throw Marshall forward. Ryder's a much better forward than Marshall, and I reckon they shouldn't use him down there. Winner, Dan Hanabry. Looked composed at a time when the Saints needed in the third quarter. He started looking as though he actually belonged, which I don't think he has to this point. He's struggled through last year, injured, and actually looked like he was pretty good this year. Winner, Dougal Howard, my man Dougal, held Ben Brown to one goal, was excellent to see. I think he had nine spoils for the game. Another winner, Ben Long, had 11 intercept possessions after hurting his ankle and looking like he was done for the day. He was writhing in pain, was helped off the field, came back, did the Superman comeback, Hulk Hogan style. He hulked up, started shaking, started shaking, people were punching him. He's like, nah, pointed at at the North Melbourne players and said, I'm back. God, I wish that happened. Okay, keep yeah, going. I might write a, write something about that. It'd be great. <laughs> Loser, Tim Membry, six touches and one goal. The Saints needed someone to stand up late in the game, and he didn't. And the other loser, the Saints overall, they were almost five goals up at halftime, and they went away with what got them to the dance. They started playing safe football, and North Melbourne started taking risks, and North Melbourne won. So the Saints, their game plan really let them down. Hawks and the Lions... Big winners, Tom Mitchell, 25 touches, 9 clearances on return. Tom Mitchell, Australian of the Year, is he? He is, yep. He going to win that again this he year. He might be president now, I'm not really could sure. Be. He could be president of the Australian of the Year committee <sighs> by the time he finishes. Yeah, that's something for him to do this year. <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing else, nothing much else he can do. Lockie Neal, 26 touches, 8 clearances and had 10 tackles as well. Really looked like he gave a shit out there. Chad Wingard, 3 goals and 20 touches. You love Chad Wingard, I know you do. You don't, yeah. You don't like the way he looks, though. No, I just, just uh, I don't know. He doesn't 
what team was he in last time? The lovely teal and the lovely teals. That's what they're the called. Lovely teals. The Port Adelaide lovely teals. They're beautiful. They got a nice he uniform. looked great in that uniform, and now what about their away cool. uniform? The grey one. Remember I showed you that. Mm, it's horrible. Know. It's a real shocker. They've oh. got that that really cool black, white, and teal look. Yep. And their away their away jerseys last year were like completely grey with a V on it. Oh, it's just a real shocker. The other loser was, uh, I suppose, the Brisbane Lions at the MCG. They haven't won there for quite a while now. And unfortunately for the Lions, that's where the finals are played. That's where the big games are played. You need to win at the G. So that might start to become an actual thing, like a bit of a monkey on their back, if they don't start picking up wins pretty soon. Last game, the Eagles and and the Eags. (laughs) The Eagles and the Ds. This was a strange game, because at halftime of the Hawthorne-Lions game, Gil McLaughlin came out and cancelled the season. Oh, yes, right. So it was a real eerie feeling to this game. It was, it was strange. You, you're watching it and it felt like a practice game. Was this the last match then? Yeah, this yeah. was the last game. I had um, a winner as Andrew Gaff, who's loving life with Tim Kelly in the middle. He's playing about two possessions off the ball and just getting the ball fed out to him. Off he goes, just dances down the wing, has a bounce, kicks long, or lowers his eyes, hits a target, and that's what he's, that's what they've been missing from him. Last year they played him in the middle a fair bit, at clearances, and he'd just grab the ball and throw it on his boot, and it would go anywhere. I think his disposal efficiency was way down last year, and the reason for that is, is he was too close to the contest, and they weren't capitalizing on his skill. Shannon Hearn, 23 touches at 96% efficiency. That's very efficient. I'm not a math magician, right? <laughs> Definitely not. Is that one possession that he didn't hit a target with? It would be, right? I don't know. If he had 23, and he was at 96%. Let's say yes. Good answer. Excellent. Winner, Liam Ryan. I thought he was actually best on ground. He was in everything, attacked the contest, worked right up to halfback. Uh, Tom Barris, not M. Barris. If his first name was Matt, it'd be such a good name. M. Barris. This is Tom Barris. He was fantastic in the air and just basically had Tom McDonald moved off him and up the field. Jack Viney, he's an absolute beast in the middle. He was a real winner for for the Ds. He think he had 37 possessions, and he actually looks like this would be his year, which is a real shame because <laughs> it's it's not going to be anyone's year. And he's looking he, he looked fantastic in the Mars series. He looked wonderful in this game as well. Sadly, he looked like one of about three Melbourne players who actually gave a shit. So that's in his DNA. I think he just goes hard the whole time. Last winner, Kaziah Pickett. Now, you watch the vision of him. Oh, he was spectacular. Had he finished that goal, where he basically got the ball at halfback, fed it out, and sprinted past five players to get involved again at half forward, had he kicked that goal, we would have had goal of the year in round one. Oh, look, I reckon he can have it anyway. He can have point of the year. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the best points you'll ever see. So he was fantastic. He ended up kicking two goals as well. But he was, that was the sort of thing that makes you stand up or sit up, actually, and go, hey, this, this guy's got it. Look at the others meandering down the ground, and he just took off like a rocket. He was too fast. It was weird. Yeah, he, Everyone he looked else like... is going the same pace, and he's suddenly just zipping through. Yeah, he looked like he was on fast forward a yeah. little bit. Yeah, it was, so it was great to watch, actually. Quite crazy. The big losers were the big forwards on the on the day, I suppose. Josh Kennedy, he was absolutely blanketed by both Stephen May and Oscar McDonald. And when one wasn't occupying Josh Kennedy, they were occupying Jack Darling as well. So those two big guys were no good. Tom McDonald, he kicked two goals, but they were, they weren't really power forward kind of goals. They were more like he was drifting back from 
running up the field. He was he struggled on the day as Still well. Still kicked two goals. He did. Well, it's two more than I kicked. So Elliot Yo gave away seven free kicks in this game. That's Shane Mumford <laughs> kind of numbers. What did he do? He's he's a hard man, right? Not joking, they know hard, which is non-existent, by the way. Um, but he's he he lays hard tackles. He does the hard work and stuff. He was a little bit over aggressive, and was giving away free kicks without getting any of the benefit. So usually he'd catch people holding the ball or he'd win a contest. It seemed like every every time he tried something, he'd put a foot wrong and give a free kick away. So seven free kicks against, no free kicks for. So that's our wrap of round one. We'll have our player power rankings out in the next 24 hours or so. Our defenders' rankings will be up tonight. I'm hopeful anyway they'll be up tonight. I'm waiting on the coaches' votes to come through, and if they don't, we'll just jump ahead and, and do them without the coaches because really what do the coaches know? Oh, not Isol- a lot sometimes. Isolated up there with their headphones on. So we'll move on, and we're going to talk about the, the league shutdown and what it means, I suppose, to, to players, to the league itself, to teams, to fans. I mean... The, the reaction that we've got on the site has been one of extreme disappointment and sadness. There hasn't been anyone saying, yeah, this is a good idea. There were plenty of people talking about what a good idea it was to shut it down and not run the season prior to round one. There are a heap of people going, this should be shut down. This is ridiculous. Now they're starting to see the gravity of the situation and why the AFL wanted to push forward with it. This has meant, was it 80%? of the job losses at, at the AFL? Yep, this is an industry-ending crisis, really. So what we've seen is uh, this morning, as of this morning, you had football departments, entire football departments being shut down. And in, in terms of the Gold Coast football department, they were told to go and explore other employment options. It wasn't just go away for a few weeks and come back when things were a bit better. It was, I'm sorry, guys, there's no longer a role here for you. There might be nothing to come back to. Off you go. Exactly. Don't don't sit and wait for us. Which is very responsible of them, actually. It's not okay to give people false hope and just leave them hanging. Daniel Cherney from The Age actually published, and published I don't know whether he did an article or he just tweeted it, that the Lions had, had put people, put their players on leave without pay. They, like, had just automatically done that. This was refuted by the Lions. But this seems to be where we're headed. Yeah, the, the players have just... Re- offered 50% pay cut for the first two months, which amazingly averages out to 8.3% of their pay for the year. So, sounds great. 50%. The players taking a 50% cut. Really, they're taking an 8.3% cut. The AFL are basically saying no. AFL are saying, we're not interested in that. We need more money. We can't pay you what we don't have. So, all of a sudden, the gravity of this is hitting home. People are realizing that It's not just job losses, it's not just no games, it's just not TV rights that are in jeopardy here. This is entire clubs that could go under here. They don't have the capital to actually remain viable. There's little little things like individual players. We could have seen the last of Sean Burgoyne. I mean, he was fantastic for the Hawks against the Lions. Gary Ablett was one of the best for Geelong against GWS. He could be done as well. Nathan Jones would be done. Heath Shaw would be done. We're now starting to see what this shutdown actually costs. And, you know, as a, as a bloke who runs a website, an AFL website, <laughs> this is freaking scary as hell. I haven't seen anything like this at all. So it depends what the league wants to do here. There'll be teams that 
teams that'll be fine and they can ride it out. Richmond are really, really healthy financially. The West Coast Eagles are probably the, the richest club in the competition. Collingwood are really well off financially. They've got a huge member base. They've already stood down their football department. Adelaide, you'd think, would be pretty strong. Hawthorne is strong. Geelong would be set. Carlton will be set. So those are the teams that they should be fine. They're pretty well resourced, but there's there's teams that aren't going to be fine here. And there's been times where teams haven't been fine in the past. Well, we read a couple of articles about this. Um, the best being Malcolm Sutton's article about the Spanish flu quarantine camp in Adelaide. Ben Collins, what happened last time footy faced a pandemic. And Jason Dowling, saving football. Now, in 1919, Spanish flu was gripping the world, and in Australia, out of a population of 5 million, 40% contracted the flu. Dirty buggers. And around 15,000 people died. Now, <laughs> worldwide, between 50 to 100 million people died. Thank God there was no internet in that period. This oh my would God. have been ridiculous. Pandemonium. Absolute panic. So, what happened? The federal government reacted slowly. Surprise, surprise. So the states went rogue, closing their borders. Quarantine camps were started, though some people didn't take it very seriously. I wonder Shock who. horror. Schools were shut down, and so were public gathering places. This is all sounding very familiar. But football didn't stop. The 1919 VFL season was still held with 18 rounds and fan crowds. So the emphasis was placed on people that if you wanted to go to the football, football you still could. You just dealt with the Spanish flu as a result. <laughs> Pretty much. What were I the think, crowds like? Do we I know? I think the idea was because it was outside. It was ah, right, hey. It was different. So, But the idea was also that football would provide everybody with a crucial distraction at a time when the country was just reeling from war and suffering from this horrible sickness. Well, all we're missing is a good war <laughs> right about now. What are they calling it? The war on... The faceless enemy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Trumpism. Um, but if you jump forward to 1986, seven clubs were on the brink of collapse. It was Fitzroy. Who did collapse? Geelong, Footscray, Collingwood, Melbourne, North Melbourne and Richmond. And they were all technically bankrupt. So... The Victorian Commissioner for Corporate Affairs wrote to the AFL demanding a plan, or sorry, VFL demanding a plan, or they were going to be canned. And the league had to change. So Brisbane and West Coast gave a financial lifeboat. So they paid an enormous amount of money to be to part of the competition. And if you listen to West Coast supporters, they will tell you, with you know, without any shadow of a doubt, that we saved your competition. They did. They did. There you go. <laughs> And so TV rights became something to bid on instead of automatically go to Channel 7. And supporters were tapped for cash and they responded. And that's crucial. Well, I just want to put in that basically the TV rights now just go to Channel 7 yet again. Yeah, they probably have to pay. They do. More. They pay a massive amount. But there you go. they get what they get is the right of topping the last bid. Sorry, is this Channel 7 that didn't keep their archives? This is Channel 7 who allowed a fire to damage all all the game tapes prior to 1990 from the home and away season. Channel 7, I just, I can't even begin with you. So this is... Hatred, hatred, I hate you. You are absolutely useless. This is My archival God. footage of some of the game's absolute greats at their peak that is no longer available. However, if you would like to uh, <laughs> give us a little bit of a bell at the mongrel, we do have a young man who has managed to procure 
a lot of games from the 1970s and 1980s, and I'm happy to pass along his details to you. It's not me, AFL. It's not me. <laughs> I don't have them. It I... isn't. We don't have the storage capacity, much like Channel 7. Yeah. And anyway... plus, I light fires a lot. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so back to the 80s. Fitzroy were in over a million dollars in debt, but lived along until the 90s. Can I tell you a bit of a story about Fitzroy? Was it Fitzroy in the 90s? I'm lost. Fitzroy folded in the 90s. Yes. So Fitzroy had so little money that they used to basically drive around in like a beaten up old van. This is the club administrators and pick up donations from people. They basically had zero money. So they'd go and see one supporter, get some money, go and see another supporter, get some money and then go and pay players with it. They were broke to the point where they had zero money in their bank at all. Ridiculous. I think that if if players actually genuinely took proper cuts... And I am a big advocate for minimum wage across the board. This is serious. This is not. This I is like not that a mark idea. Where we can we can just squeeze blood out of a stone. If the AFL don't have money, there is no money. They're not going to just lose their multi million dollar wages. They're going to lose their jobs entirely. We'll talk about this a bit more. I'm in a very minute, keen around options on, on just minimum wage for them. And then I think supporters would be more willing to go. Yeah, I will chip in. Things are tight, but I will help. But anyway. Currently, St Kilda are in a horrible financial position. Melbourne, Gold Coast Suns, Brisbane and North Melbourne, not in great positions. Melbourne had actually planned to be debt-free by 2023. And this so do season... I. <laughs> Your debts are minimal. I'll take care of those. Good. So I'm wondering how this season will actually scuttle Melbourne's debt-free plan. But well, it's basically, St Kilda is the real issue here. It's putting any plans they had for any improvements to their facilities completely off. It's taken them off the table. So I know Melbourne were looking at setting up a new base. They'll be off the table. Hawthorne were looking at building a new state-of-the-art facility. Done. That's not happening at the moment. All on hold. So this is... Uh, well, if you take what happened in the 80s and, and when the Spanish flu was going on, there's two major times when the game was impacted and they I don't think either of them were as bad as as what's happening well the game continued yeah so there was still revenue coming in yeah and this time there's just basically no money coming in so the the AFL looks at a line of credit or they have to actually put these drastic cuts in, in place or they need to start looking at other options such as private ownership but we'll get into that in a minute I was going to say St Kilda is the real issue they're the weakest team commercially. They have the lowest amount of sponsorship income. They're propped up heavily by the AFL. And I did read that they have roughly a $12 million debt. Jeez. That's, that's at the point with who could they merge with? Who is there a point? On? Or should they just fold? Well, taking on a $12 million debt, you'd be looking at... Who could absorb that? Well, what are the positives? Yeah, you get a core group of players. How many do you keep? Jeez, it, it, it's almost like, no, no, we'll be fine. Thanks, guys. Uh... Thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know where St Kilda goes. If that's the case, their debt, they're talking about clubs could lose $15 million each this year. That's $27 million that St Kilda would be in debt. There's a bloke named Lindsay Fox. Bit of a St Kilda supporter. Bit of a billionaire. Um, I'm wondering whether the AFL may start to look at private ownership again as an option, given you know, this bleak forecast for the next however long this is something they may not be able to sustain 
And if private ownership becomes, oh, it's a very slippery slope because when you deal with team owners, you're dealing with people who are used to getting their own way. So you look at people like, you know, you go back, say, 10 years at Carlton, you had Richard Pratt from Vizzy. So he was the club president. And there was no question that he ruled that club. All the money that went into the club, or not all the money that went into the club, but a large portion of the money basically came through Vizzy. When they recruited Chris Judd over from West Coast, he got a job with Vizzy as an environmental ambassador. <laughs> now, I don't know what sort of coin was on, but I'm guessing it wasn't minimum wage. Yeah, probably And not. that was then, you know, there was discussions around whether that should be included in the salary cap. Well, no, because he's an environmental ambassador, please. Oh, yeah. He's like joining the Rainbow Warrior or something. He's out there. Could you picture Judd out there? What about Mrs. Judd? Bemused expression. She's flogging her workout gear. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so you have people like that. Now, the Pratt family might still be very interested in purchasing Carlton. Eddie Maguire's net worth is $55 million. Eddie Maguire, right? I know that you're not the biggest fan, but if he went on to buy Collingwood, this would be one of the greatest success stories in... In Australian sport, basically. I actually changed my mind a little bit about Eddie because what? he gave up his tickets to watch the Collingwood game this week. Yes, that's true. To the, the family, the family of, yeah. of that kid who was playing his Tyler first Brown. game. Yeah. And that just got me. That yeah, was gorgeous. So Eddie what? sat home on the couch and watched it there. So that was actually Eddie, very... That was really nice. That was magnanimous It from was. That Eddie. was a really nice thing to do. Oh, look at you. You're almost tearing up here. It was sweet. <laughs> I like it when people are nice. That so was softy. putting it out there, I mean, we've got an article coming this week on potential buyers for each team. So... It's a fairly ridiculous Well, no, this article. one it, this one got a bit of both in it. There's a couple yeah. of realistic ones in there, but there's also some absolutely ridiculous ones because we couldn't think of anyone. Uh, you look at someone like um, Matheson at at Carlton, who's worth in the hundreds of millions. The Pratt family, you know, worth billions. There's people who who love the sport. Lindsay Fox for St Kilda. He's he's their white knight if they choose to go down that path. But for him, pouring money into the club, just for the sake of pouring money into the club, I'm not sure that that's a wise move. But buying the club. And then running it like your business. Well, maybe that's something that's a bit more attractive. Well, the NBA is a really good example of this in America. So they they have good owners and they have bad owners. So you have owners like uh, I suppose Mark Cuban. Joe, Mark Cuban at the Dallas Mavericks, Joe Laker at uh, at Golden State. Then you have James Dolan at the New York Knicks and basically no one wants to go there because you're basically forced to listen to him play his blues guitar. What, really? Yeah, he's a wanker. Oh, um, my God. Look, I don't know if he is. He, he could be a really lovely bloke. Does he actually do that, though? Yeah, he plays in the blues band. So his dad, th- this is uh, old money, so he was he's had the money handed down to him from dad and you know, never really had to work a day in his life. So you, you, you're going to get a mix of good and bad. Clive Palmer might want to buy a team. Do you have some criteria that people have to meet? What if Gina Reinhart wants to buy a team? She could buy the whole league. Yes, she could. I mean, she could buy the whole to league a hundred times she over. Probably, uh, they could probably rescue Australia from what's going on right now. But um, Well, she's got a lot we'll of snacks that. to buy. <laughs> so she'll be off doing that for a while. 
I mean, James Packer, yeah. he, he might be interested as well. But there's a, there's a lot of lot of people who could put together really attractive packages. Dr. Jeffrey Edelston might uh, repurchase oh, the Sydney Swans. He have the Swanettes. He'll bring Warwick Kappa back. Pink Ferraris. Fly into games in the helicopter. Could all happen. I wish you could all see HB's face right now. It's just, it's lit up. I'm reliving the glory days. Do you know at one point, right, when Sydney was at their best, they had three consecutive games where they scored over 30 goals in a game and were just completely destroying teams and Kappa was going nuts. He was kicking... Like, people forget how good he was. It's because he's a, he's a bit of a clown. Well, he has his moments these days. Mm-hmm. I, I think he plays a bit of a character and he's always on. Yeah, I wonder if, exhausting. I wonder, yeah, it would be. I wonder if he goes home and just kind of goes, yeah, screw this. So tired of being on. Mm-hmm. I feel that way sometimes. <laughs> so, look, <laughs> pr- pr- private ownership might be something that AFL needs to, not wants to, but they may- actually might need to. Uh, I think we're two years away from a broadcast deal, so we might be... We what, might we be, is in the mongrel? Look, if we got a broadcast deal, we're going to dump this under the bed studio, I tell you what. I don't know, it's cosy. I feel pretty cosy. It's warm in here tonight without being too warm. <laughs> it's very rare. Uh, so they might go down this path. And if they do, this opens up a real can of worms. We might have a... It's like the Wild West at the moment with the AFL. This is uncharted territory. And if people want to stake their claim on a team, might be the right time to do it. Could you see Eddie answering to another owner? No. I couldn't either. I couldn't see someone else coming in and sitting above him Eddie making a decision or really pushing for something, and but the bloke just saying no. Does sit above him. Gill sits above him. But in terms of running his team. Yeah, but I think, I think it'll go the same way that everything goes. There's always somebody who's a bigger fish above you. It's just a matter of having really stringent rules. I think if team owners do come in, they can't be able to ride all over the. There'd have to be a, a strict team. set of yeah. conditions that they operate under. Exactly. Now, that can be great, but it can also be a deterrent for those guys. They might look, well, why would I want to buy this team? What's in it for me? Love. Love of the game. Yeah. That and, you know, 40 cents might get you a phone call. You might not find enough buyers, but why not float? Find a way to float it for the fans. Oh, that's... I think... uh, I could be wrong here, but I think North Melbourne was owned by the members at one point. North Melbourne, you just said it yourself. They're in financial jeopardy. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do that sort of stuff, it's it's fraught with danger. But I'm not sure if... I mean, how much of this is really poor management? Quite a lot. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Well, when you compare it... I suppose when you compare to rugby league, the AFL is actually a lot better off. They've... Rugby league goes for quick cra- cash grabs all the time. And it's the clubs. They, they want a quick cash injection. So they'll forego a five-year plan for a five-month plan if it reaps them immediate rewards they were so eager to keep their season going because they genuinely live hand to mouth so that they have decent money from the broadcast deals it immediately goes in one hand and out the other i think they started setting up a a slush slash emergency fund a couple of years ago that money's gone it's already gone and they've just postponed their season they are in enormous trouble compared to the afl they're probably They're on the precipice of disaster. You know what? Either teams and management aren't listening to their financial officers 
or their financial officers are rubbish and don't know what they're doing. I think they just basically try and keep afloat. Yeah. So before we sign off, I just wanted to touch on the uh, the very, very shifty move by the AFL of implementing 16-minute quarters plus time on for this shortened season. And if you've been paying any attention at all to the media over the last 24 hours, they're all starting to talk up the possibility or the probability of this 16-minute quarter becoming the norm next year, irrespective of what happens this year. My problem with this is that this is something the AFL has been pushing for for a while. Fans haven't asked for it. The response online, which, you know, the response online is always drastic one way or the other, has been relatively negative here. It's not something people are receptive to. The AFL have pushed this through. It's almost as though it's a change by stealth. To push it through now as a trial in order to get people used to it and then just go, oh, we're keeping it now. This is the way it's going to be. And I'm really disappointed that in a time when the game's in crisis and the competition's in crisis, that someone thought this would be a good idea just to kind of sneak this one through. I love it. You, you, I love you, it. You are so It's ruthless behavior. It is. I love it. Are they going to cheapen tickets to get in or no? No. No, no, no. They're giving I you less product for the same amount of money. And they're, they're lengthening... You a greater concentration of product. Are they really? They're also better lengthening quality. the quarter time and three quarter time breaks for the betterment of the player's recovery. It's not for more advertising time. It's not for more ads they can pump through in that time. It's for the player's recovery. This is smart. And I hate to say it, this is how they'll keep the league going. Decisions like this to generate more revenue, they're, they're required now. There's a lot of old blokes who talk about the AFL now and they say I hate where I hate it I hate where it is I hate where it's at and it's decisions like this that lead to the current generation going that way as well the more you move away from what the game is to become something else the less it remains Aussie rules and the more it becomes something completely different but that's okay look we might wrap it up there We've got a child starting to yell downstairs, so one of us <laughs> has got to go down there. starting to yell over the opposite side of the room. Yeah, well, she's doing a lot of finger pointing. I'm done. Guys, jump on the mongrelpunt.com. We've got a heap of content coming your way this week, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.